The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen. It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kissed and Solek Show. This is episode 82, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work for BleedingGreenNation.com. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T, as always. Joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak, without a bad day. You can follow his draft coverage at draftnetwork.com. Also, all of his other work for bleedinggreennation.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak, because he is, in fact, Benjamin Solak. Ben, how'd you enjoy the combine, brother? That was a lot to follow in that introduction. It was more than I was ready for. <laughs> Things changed, and I wasn't prepared for it. It was awesome. It was. It's a total grind, man. It's real, real busy. Senior Bowl is definitely a little more chill. Schedule's not nearly as packed. More time to, I think, do things that aren't work. But uh, it was a wonderful time regardless. And getting the, the access to the prospects that we got, it's really super sick. And it's a great opportunity to talk to a lot of guys. And so really enjoyed it. Uh, enjoyed seeing the results. Enjoyed going out and meeting a lot of fun people. So it's a good time, man. It was a really good time. I saw you get pegged by a snowball. That was dope. Yeah, you should have. Trevor Sikama, a little Florida boy, was so <laughs> like pissed off about how cold it was. And then it snowed one day, and he was just super psyched. So he was walking through... Uh, is just walking through the like the sidewalk, and then like next to the sidewalk, there's snow that's been shoveled off the sidewalk, and he just walking through. He's kicking it with his feet, and he looks up at me, and he goes, "Snow!" And I was like, "Yeah, that's what that is. Like, it's pretty pretty awesome." So Ben, this combine stuff is probably going to take a while to digest everything that happened, which is fine. We do have some pertinent Eagles news to get to first, mostly along the trenches. Brandon Graham is back, baby. Three years, $40 million to return for the Eagles. You really thought Graham would test the market. I mean, he said as much. And what that does is it gives him $13.3 million per year. Still waiting on the details of that contract to see if it's front-loaded, back-loaded, whatever the case may be, because there's a lot of different moving parts happening right now, and we don't have a lot of details, and we don't have the details on these next deals either, except for uh, one of them. I think we have the the average here with Jason Kelsey, because Jason Kelsey has signed an extension through 2019 for the next three years he'll be paid 33 million dollars that is 11 million dollars per year makes him the highest paid center in the league uh, which is earned because he is the best center 
in the league for two years running. That should put to bed some of the retirement talk, as he's said himself, it's going to be a season-to-season decision, which is not uncommon once you get over 30. Kelsey was never really on the injury report last year, but you knew he was banged up with a knee and an elbow, and he talked about the physical toll that the season took on him. Uh, But despite all that, Kelsey will return next year, and as a catalyst for the Eagles' offense and what they want to do, uh, I couldn't be happier about it. Plus, it looks like they're going to save some Eagles with that new deal somehow anyway, despite him becoming the highest-paid center. So we'll see the details on that. But he himself, Kelsey, said that it does save them some money this year. So we'll see exactly how much. that we, We've seen the $3.7 million figure floated out there. Look, you get an incredible player. You get to restructure him. You get to extend him. And you also save some money at the same note. Now, two other notes quickly before I kick it to you, Ben. The Eagles extend Isaac Siamalo through 2022, which is a three-year extension for him as he was coming up in the last year of his contract. We do not have the exact details for the cash as we record this, but we'll update you when we get that. Also, Lane Johnson restructures his contract, which is going to save the Eagles some cash this year, apparently. And we already talked about the Eagles not picking up Timmy Jernigan's option, which saves $7 million. That is pretty much official at this point. That is a lot of shaking and moving as we are a week away from free agency, Ben. Yeah, so it was day (laughs) one of the combine that they were out there freaking extending Brandon Graham, which is not a thing that we thought would happen. Yeah. Multiple restructure slash extensions. You know, those things are often like baked into one another. Very often you avoidable years on these extensions so as to just continue pushing the salary cap proration as far down the the road as you can. Then the Isaac Sayomalo extension, I think is really... Interesting slash cool slash good because it's important. The Sam Alo, we don't, haven't seen any numbers, but from what's been reported, it's an extension, which basically just we expect him to be our starter moving forward. He'd cost more if he got to free agency because he'd probably be better and he'd be threatening the open market. So we extend him now, knowing that he's going to be on the roster those years. We might as well just secure him then, which is basically what a lot of these Lane Johnson and Fletcher Cox restructures are, right? Like, the Eagles have in the past three years, calendar years, they've extended Fletcher Cox twice, Zach Ertz twice, Lane Johnson twice, Brandon Brooks twice. Because they know these players are going to be on the roster in 2020-2021. Like, if everything hits the fan, if Carson Wentz is totally broken, knock wood, you know, these players will be on the roster for those years. If the Eagles win multiple Super Bowls in the next two years... These players will be on the roster. Like, no matter what happens, they're going to be around. The only thing that wouldn't do it is, like, traumatic injury. And there's really... You can't build your cap assuming everybody's going to be traumatically injured. You would never have any good players ever. And I think that's a great point that you bring up about the Super Bowl because a lot of times what you see happen when a team wins the Super Bowl is you will see a mass exodus. But the way that Howie Roseman has constructed this thing to make sure that he retains these players and, you know, values these in-house players and make sure that they're around is how he keeps that from happening. And some people might be concerned with the fact that he continues to kick the can down the road at times with these guys. But when it's time to restructure and make a team-friendly deal, these guys seem to be willing to do that for Howie. And it hasn't really bit him yet. So you just keep going, yeah, I mean, this is working perfectly fine. And there's obviously a downside to it too, but Howie seems to be really good at manipulating the cap to make it work in his favor. Yeah, now when we say like it hasn't really bit him yet, right? It hasn't in the sense that, like, the biting analogy isn't great, but it's like you just choose when you get bit. You know what I mean? It's like, like, you have Carson Wentz. He's on a rookie deal. 
the rookie deal for a quarterback is generally viewed as the Super Bowl competitive window. And a lot of teams with rookie quarterbacks on rookie deals get to the Super Bowl. Now, obviously, they don't always win it, but that's a different matter entirely. Like, if you look at the last, like, oh, four Super Bowl winners, none of the Super Bowl winning quarterbacks were on rookie deals. Yeah, but, like, you had the the Russell Wilson era, and the Eagles had Carson on a rookie deal when Foles won, and so on and so forth. So the rookie deal gets you competitive. It gets you close. So we start there. At some point, you got to pay him a ton of money. And when you pay him a ton of money, you're going to limit your ability to sign big deals in free agency. And accordingly, you're going to limit your ability to acquire top-tier talent because you're not going to be able to outbid teams who have a ton more cap space. So you need to have your top-tier talents already secured. You need to have them already right. on the roster. And that's yeah. what you're going to be looking at. You're assuming, you know... 30-year-old Zach Ertz is playing as well as 27-year-old Zach Ertz, 28-year-old Zach Ertz is playing right now. You're assuming that you're still going to be getting great play out of 28-year-old Lane Johnson as compared to how 26-year-old Lane Johnson is playing now. I'm making up these ages. They may be wrong. It's kind of what I think is right. Don't worry about it. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. You have voidable years. Well, voidable years are great because, yeah, you're going to be paying cumulatively several million dollars to players who aren't on the roster anymore, but you're doing that because you got great play out of them in previous years and you were able to keep those numbers smaller by prorating them over the voidable years, that's wonderful. The reality is, at some point, you you know, you know have to pay the piper. You can't outrun death forever. This is not an invisibility cloak, one of the... the oh my gosh, I'm forgetting my Harry Potter lore. Percival Brothers? <laughs> we're stopping the show! Yeah, you're about to get slammed by the nerds. It's going to be awesome. Three brothers? You better figure this out. Shut up! Pressure is on. It's Percival. I'm no. It's not per- Percival. Was one of the names of the of the brothers. What was their last name? The tale of the three brothers. How could you How could you possibly think it's Percival? How could you possibly think that? I know Shut exactly up. what it is. Yes, Peverell. Peverell. I was close. Anyway, we're just gonna <laughs> cut all that out, and it's gonna sound like I said it immediately. But this isn't an invisibility cloak situation. You're not able to just <laughs> escape death forever, right? Right. And there will be years. Most likely when, when I'm looking at it, I don't really know, but probably 2021, where the Eagles just can't do anything in free agency. They're paying a ton of people a ton of money, and they are they have a ton of dead cap on players they can't get rid of, even though they probably should get rid of them. And the team probably won't be as good as a result. But Howie Roseman talks about building teams in two-year views, in two-year spurts. You know, they're having that, that two-year approach and acknowledging that there's windows, there's lulls and swells. You go from the top to the bottom, back to the top. But that's just the, the, the cycle of life here. With a massively expanding cap, He's absolutely trading a bit on equity. Like he's just like, all right, there's going to be money and there's going to be a CBA renegotiation in 2020 and there's going to be a holdout and he's going to lose money. And yeah, the Eagles are going to be an absolute cap hell, cap hell in like 2021 and 2022. But it's what allows them to be competitive last year, this year, 2019, and maybe even in 2020, depending on what things look like. Eventually, yeah, you get to a Jason Peters spot. Where Jason Peters is due a ton of money, and the Eagles may want to cut him, but they're not able to cut him. Okay. You know, like if, God forbid, like Zach Ertz has a bad injury, the Eagles are not going to be able to cut Zach Ertz for multiple seasons. He's just going to be on the roster, making a ton of money, and there's not much they can do about that. But then this is the overarching point of cap management, and I always say that cap isn't real. It's always my joke. But the overarching point of cap management is it's not good to have cap space. It's bad. If you have cap space, it means you have bad players. And not a lot of good players. And you want good players and not bad players. So the Eagles being perennially up against the cap is a very good thing. Because it means they have good players. You need good players to win. You have to pay good players. The Eagles pay good players. And then they win games. This is what, like, this is football. Like, we spend so much time thinking about cap space. And everything goes around with it. And the reality is, there are good players. And the yeah. Eagles have them. That being said, this let's talk more about cap in the podcast. But 
It also doesn't matter, and it's not real. Yeah, the percentage that you have left of your cap when you start the season does not go into your winning percentage. That's not how this works. So use it all as long as you can continue to do so and continue to recover and continue to keep good players. So we'll move on from that discussion. Of course, cap and free agency and all that stuff is going to be a big conversation of what we have around this time of year. Now, what you can help yourself do to help your team retain talent and stay out of cap hell is to draft really well. Wait, I have a cap wait, I have a cap question I want to ask you before we transition. Oh jeez, you just crushed the I would just smooth right into it. You're like, no, let's stop. Let's Listen, you talked to me because I couldn't remember the Pepperell brothers, so I don't want to freaking hear it. All right. <laughs> I Go. tweeted this out, and now I want your take. The Eagles are likely to do only one of these two things. Keep Nelson Aguilar, keep Michael Bennett. There might be trades involved for either one. I'm sure they're working the trade block for both. Maybe they're able to restructure Aguilar. I'm sure it's something they'd like to do. They can't keep him at $9.4 million. They just can't. So which would you prefer? Eagles keep Aguilar at $9.4 million and just straight outright lose Michael Bennett to free agency or keep Michael Bennett at $7.2 million and lose Nelson Aguilar to free agency? Michael Bennett's the better player and it's less money. And I yeah. hate the idea of what the wide receiver room looks like if Aguilar goes, not knowing what the return on that would be, not knowing what the draft picks would be. But the very simple fact is, and you know I'm a big Aguilar fan, and I defend him all the time to you guys in the Slack channel, but Michael Bennett is the better player at the lower cost. He might be older. That's fine. I want to win right now. So that that would be my answer. Yeah, and I think that's the correct answer. Now, the the mitigating factor here is the fact that Michael Bennett is a bit, obviously older, but also I think a bit more difficult to handle in the locker room and the team construction as compared to Nelson Aguilar. And yeah, you probably have a more dire need at wide receiver. And then you do at edge. I acknowledge that. But Michael Bennett seven point two is such a bargain that if you're if you you know if his his off field stuff or his locker room stuff whatever is not that bad, then in my opinion you have to keep him. Uh, Aguilar, they're trying to restructure him. I'm sure they are desperately. Yeah. But man, I just think they're in a really rough spot with him. I have no idea how that's going to go down. If you're restructuring Lane and making Lane's cap hits in future years bigger and making it tougher and tougher to cut Lane to keep. Aguilar at 9.4 million for just this season like that's Aguilar's just not high enough impact of a player in my opinion you know what I mean so it's 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 wild I think we're I think we generally forget a little bit about Mac Hollins and the fact that they were really comfortable with him as wide receiver three last year and so they should be comfortable with him with wide receiver three this year so it's not like the wide receiver room would be totally bereft but you know I I see the value for Aguilar there as wide receiver two the other cap thing that I wanted to talk about with you which I will now remember. Ben is summoning his powers of remembrance. Just running through the positions in my head as fast as... Oh, I just wanted to make a general note and have a discussion about this. Yeah. Uh, the, the number one thing that will be guiding the Philadelphia Eagles offseason plan this year will be the third round compensatory pick for Nick Foles. It's as simple as that. They paid Nick Foles a lot of money to stay here multiple years, to win a championship, to play in the playoffs. He did good stuff. But to recoup nothing on his free agency would be really, really difficult. So the Eagles will not be signing any free agents that could potentially interfere with that third-round comp pick. It will not happen. They will be signing low-end free agents, period. I would like The only way they'd be signing a big deal is if they just really value somebody way higher than the market is apparently valuing them, and they think it's a huge bargain. Enough to forego a third-round draft pick that can be traded. You know what I mean? Like, if a fifth becomes Michael Bennett, what is a third-round pick that you can now trade become in terms of your ability to add players on the open market in the middle of the season? So, that's going to guide the way they approach free agency. Now, this is imperative to understand. During CBA negotiations upcoming in 2020, I think that one thing you'll see that 
the, the, the NFLPA moved strongly to is trying to make it so that comp picks can no longer be traded, which is a new addition, which really favors teams and their ability to get comp picks, and which means that more players will be let walk in free agency, and that's not what players want. And so this may be a, a running clock thing, and so they really, really are going to want to make sure that third round comp pick for Nick Foles comes through, and obviously they're going to be able to trade it when they have it. So that's the driving force. Just don't expect a big free agency from the Eagles this year. Obviously, for the cap reasons already stated, but because the number one priority moving forward is going to be retaining that third round comp pick for Nick Foles. It has to be. Yeah, and any splash that Howie Roseman has made, and I wrote this up for BleedingGreenNation.com, the Eagles aren't going to get a big ticket item in free agency. It's just, it's not the way that I see things happening. Even a trade for Antonio Brown, I don't see that happening. That's not the way that this team really operates. This, right. The way this team operates is low-cost free agents like Spencer Ware, the running back out of Kansas City, the linebacker out of Pittsburgh, LJ Fort, trading for Duke Johnson, whose first two years is under five mil for a fourth-round pick I'm that here. we talked about on this show that is now rumored. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm here for it too. Like that that's the type of deals that Howie likes to make. Even the splash free agent signings that he has made, let's talk about a couple of them. Rodney McLeod, Brandon Brooks. The first year of those Alshon. contracts were not over five million dollar cap hits. This is not a team that goes big splash in free agency. It's just not the way that they operate, and especially they can't operate now. We talk about the cap not being real, but look, there are obvious limitations to what you have. If Brandon Graham were to have walked, yeah, maybe they make a splash. Brandon Graham is back. So that guides a lot of what's going on there. And we don't know what's going on with Jason Peters and his money and all that stuff. But what are they really going to spend on in free? It's not going to be Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell's not looking to make some team friendly deal where money's on the back end. He's looking to get paid now. Antonio Brown said he doesn't even need the sport. You got to pay him big time money. And right. you got to trade for him at the, at the same time. Like that's a whole different situation. But nothing. Right. And, and this is what I was alluding to when I was going on that talk. I don't think anything would su- 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 surprise. I don't think anything would surprise me more than the Eagles sign of Le'Veon Bell. That just makes no sense <laughs> for anything at all with anything at all. I just like, I know there's a report. I just don't see the report as making sense. Well, the most surprising thing for me would be Jason Lockenfora being right on one of these reports. And he's really going to the well on that one, trying to make it work. It's not going to, I don't, I don't it's just not going to work for me. I just I just don't see it happening at all. I mean, we don't even talk about that. We talk about the Eagles and we say, oh, I don't think they'll draft a first round running back. Oh, so you think they're going to pay a top five contract for a running back in free agency? I doubt it. With injury concerns, <laughs> who is older <laughs> right. than a rookie, hypothetically? And you're going to give me crap over drafting Josh Jacobs at 25? I don't think so, man. That's not – I mean, they talked about the running back by committee at the Combine. Doug Peterson did specifically and basically said, like, yo, this is how we like to operate. And for me, it was like, okay, maybe it's not all deuce. Maybe that's what Doug Peterson likes to do too. So I can't see them investing anything like that. You know, we get into a conversation maybe about C.J. Mosley, the guy from uh, Baltimore, the linebacker, you know, maybe depending on what he's looking for. But I don't see anything big time coming that way. Do you see them going veterans? safety potentially now the choreogram is gone veteran safety is like a big potential for me that third safety role even if it's and i and i and i think glory quinn the the guy who's let go by the uh, detroit lions has fallen off the cliff much like Corey graham was always off of the cliff but now they're at the same spot i think that happened to quinn last year but he would be a guy a former schwartz guy that they would bring in to be their their free safety as a veteran that would make a ton of sense just like logically connecting the dots type of deal and other guys like that i, I know there are some out there in free agency that they could definitely take a look at hopefully it's not jonathan cyprian uh who is bad uh eric weddle i saw i'm down yeah i'm, totally I'm down, down for for for, for <laughs> 
a year for two years, I'm yeah. down. Trey Boston's back on the market. I wanted him last year. I'm down for him this year. But, man, I just think it'd be fun to have Eric Weddle play for my team for a year. This supports nothing of all the cap considerations I just talked about. Um, but I don't know how expensive he's going to be. It'll be interesting to see what the market is on Weddle. Um, but Weddle's just such a fun player. The market was real weird for safeties last year in free agency. So it could be a little bit of the same for Weddle. Weddle can still man cover. He's still got the range. I mean, he's still... And he's super philanthropically active. Yep. Which... Fits the culture. Fits culture big time. You know, and this has been a fun place for veterans to come play. They've enjoyed it here, especially on defense. Just saying. I'm not saying, but I'm saying. <laughs> we'll talk about that as we get into the legal tampering period here on Bleeding Green Nation. When we return, we are finally going to get to the promised NFL Combine recap. We'll be back in a second. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back, Ben. It is time to talk about the NFL Combine of 2019. Ben, you tweeted this out. Let's jump right into it. Seven wide receivers ran in the four threes this year. That's the same number as the last three combines combined. Ben, here's the list. Paris Campbell, Ohio State, 431. Andy Isabella, UMass, 431. Miko Hardman, Georgia, 433. DK Metcalf. Old Miss, 433. We're going to talk about that. Terry McLaurin. Bananas. Ohio State, 435. Darius Slayton from Auburn, who I put my uh, my deep threats article for BleedingGreenNation.com. He ran a 439. Also, Emmanuel Hall from Missouri, 439. First off, one of these players is not like the other by like 20 pounds, and that is DK Metcalf, who at 228 pounds and on his deathbed at a reported 1.6 body fat percentage, <laughs> I said that I would throw my television out the window if he ran sub 4-4. He cleared that and put some extra stank on it. And I, right. I did not throw my television out the window, but I damn near kicked it. What a show by the big man. But Ben, ben overall, holy crap. This was a great year for those of us that think that the Eagles need a deep threat. I know we both like Hardman from Georgia. We've talked about him. Uh, who fits the Eagles in your opinion? And if you just want to talk about the freak of nature that is that is DK Metcalf a little bit more, I completely understand because that was astonishing. Right. The, the, the funny thing about Metcalf is just that like we had heard some rumors that he might run. The ra- the like the range that we were talking about was like 4-3-8. Right. And so, like, and I was, like, like very out. nervously, very <laughs> cautiously dropping at some locations. Listen, I've heard he might run sub 4-4, right? And then just, like, leaving that there. That I thought that was so bold. And then he was like, what if I ran 4-3-3? Yeah. With, like, not the cleanest start you've ever seen in the face of the planet. I mean, just. Right. Oh, it's just stupid. It's just, it's it's stupid. It's transcendent. I literally just couldn't give two hoots about his, uh. His three-cone time. If you can't find a way to make that player successful, I don't even know what to say to you anymore. But when I look at the Eagles specifically, yeah, Paris Campbell apparently now is getting, like, round one talk, which to me is basically like, oh, no, Marquise Brown is injured. Who's the other fast guy? Paris Campbell? (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) Terry McLaurin at Ohio State, the same school, ran four one-hundredths of a second slower than him and has better tape literally in every facet. In every facet. In every facet. Except for Yak. 
and he's still a good yak guy. Right, I w- and I would even argue that one of the main reasons you can make that case is because Paris Campbell got every mesh touch on the face of the planet, and he got a... F- 10-yard runway before he saw anybody, and he had runway speed, whereas McLaurin was getting more intermediate and deep stuff, we were not going to see as much yak, you know what right. I mean? Like, it was, like, also the way they were used. Yeah. So, this whole, like, Paris Campbell is now, like, the new round one speed guy, because Marquise Brown is injured, just to me, is is ridiculous, but Terry McLaurin, special teams ace, great route runner, multiple positions, which is huge for Philadelphia, true sub 4-4 speed. I mean, like, he is... As Nelson Aguilori, a player as you're going to find in this draft. Right. Without, I think, some drop problems that Aguilar had at USC. And so yeah. I think he's, you know, he's a day two pick to me. One of the round two selections. There's probably going to be some higher toted names at wide receivers on the board. But McLaurin has just been unbelievable. I mean, yeah. his senior season, his senior bowl, his combine, everything's been fantastic. I think the Eagles are going to take a long, hard look at the sub 4-4 and obviously like, you know, sub 4-4-5 market for their... Speed guy, I think that's a very legit option that they have. Uh, we know that they've been circulating veteran speed guys at the position. This is a, dr- a great, great draft class to go get one, uh, to go to go out and draft one. McLaurin would be the name that I would circle as the guy I would like to see the most. Uh, and as we've talked about on the show before, in no way am I going to turn my nose about Michael Hardman. Uh, Emmanuel Hall is another player that I really like a lot. Uh, Emmanuel Hall is going to be another day two pick for me for sure. And he had a great combine, jumped out of the gym with apparently a sports hernia, which is just like stupid. Yeah, those are the names I'm looking at. And Hall has a more complete game than Campbell, too. I mean, I know he only ran post, streak, curl, whatnot at at Missouri. But, like, even just his release game is so much better. He consistently wins at the line when he needs to and when he has to. Paris hasn't really shown a whole lot of that. His depth of target is, like, negative two yards or two yards. Like, he's either getting it behind the line or he's getting it Paris Campbell is going to get overdrafted for literally five one-hundredths of a second. Which is crazy. Just draft a 4-3-8 guy instead of a 4-3-1 guy or whatever the heck it is. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of speed guys out there for the Eagles if they're looking for one. You know, Mike Wallace could always come back. We don't know how that's going to go. But they are going to be looking at these wide receivers. They are going to be looking at these deep threats. So there's a lot of them there, which is great news. A great draft to go get one. Ben, I mean, we got to talk about this. When they called the defensive line historic, I did not expect testing even like this. I mean, you're just one guy who just completely won the combine and elevated his stock. Montez Sweat from Mississippi State running a 4-4-1 and then doing... Dude, <laughs> don't even that? talk to me. I was I was in church. That was Sunday morning. I was in church. So I wasn't on like the Draft Network live stream or anything. Yeah, he was in church too. He was preaching. And so so I, I, I go back to the Draft Network live stream and I'm just like in the Uber getting back to the conference center. They're claiming Montez Sweat ran a 4-4-2, and I just didn't believe it. I just not believe it. And then he had an unbelievable three-cone time, which he wasn't Seven supposed flat. to have. Seven flat. He wasn't supposed to have that. What? He had a better three-cone than Brian Burns. What? <laughs> what? Get out of Dodge. Yeah. That's absurd. Like, is it the whole Jordan Willis thing, or is it is it actually there with him? Because that three cone, that seven flat three cone, what is that, like 83rd percentile, if I'm not mistaken? Like, uh, Dane Brugler put it out there that the average three cone for the top 30 edge rushers in the NFL is 7.14. He's well, he's well under that. Like, that's not what we expected him to be good at. In fact, we were saying he was going to be probably pretty rigid. I mean, there's some stiffness on film that you can see there. So that's something you got to suss out and go back to the film on. But my God, man. And this whole class, this whole defensive line class tested like freak athletes. I was trying to pick winners and losers for that day for BleedingGreenNation.com. And I was like, I could take 15 defensive linemen 
and nobody would say boo because they all tested like elite athletes. And just about everybody but Ja'Kai Polite helped themselves at the Combine from this oh, group. Oh, Ja'Kai. Yeah, let's talk about that because Ja'Kai was a guy that we said if he drops past 12, the Eagles might be interested in moving up. Now, this is obviously before the Brandon Graham news because they were going to be looking for an edge rusher to pair with Derek Barnett long term, which makes a lot of sense. You get cheap at the position and you get a good, a really good pass rusher. And Ja'Kai Polite is a really good pass rusher. What the heck happened with him in the interviews? Because he's telling the press, well, you know, I was in there with him and all they wanted to do is bash my game. And I don't know, man, they just bashed me the whole time. And, and he seemed like really bad at the process. And then there's stuff out there where like he re- he came in heavy. They said it was sloppy weight because, you know, he's at that 242. He came in at what? What did he come in at? Like 258. 258. And we were like, heck, yeah, that's <laughs> great. And then we saw him and we were like, dude, what have you been doing? Which kind of made like, his when frame I, was awful. When I saw him at 258, I'm like, oh, good, because he's played at 270 before when he was a defensive tackle like two years right. ago. So you would think, okay, maybe he can really carry that weight. And then you want to see him test well at that weight. Well, he comes in at a sloppy 258, and then he runs a 484 or something like that on the 40. And then he says, oh, I pulled my hammy. And then, like, that's it. And I know that people were getting, you know, texts from scouts saying, I don't believe it. I think it's BS, so on and so forth. And then the way that he talked with the press and what we're hearing now from teams just saying, like, it was, I think one word used was train wreck for their interview with him. And he was a guy that we had talked about coming into the show. Like, okay, for the interview process, who's got to nail it? Ja'Kai Polite was one of those guys because there were maturity concerns. Well, go figure. There is a ton of red flags around this dude, Ben. What are what, what did you experience from that whole polite weirdness? Because I don't think anyone hurt their stock more than polite. No, I've never seen I've never seen a podium interview like this in my entire life. Like <laughs> it's just, did nobody tell him what was going to happen? Like it was <laughs> like we would we we as the media make fun of the fact that all these prospects get questions like, "Have you met with the Jets? Have you met with the Giants? Have you met with the Eagles?" Which are super asinine questions. Everybody's met with everybody, and who right. cares? It doesn't really like indicate anybody's going anywhere. And also, most prospects are just like, yeah, or no, or I don't remember. You know what I mean? Like Chauncey Gardner Johnson, another Florida kid, was like with every team was like, oh, yeah, I met with them. And, and we were like, had, people would ask like how to go. And he was like, oh, it was amazing. And he was clearly screwing around. And like by the end of it, he was like, guys, I just like, I don't remember. And I'm also not going to tell you, which is fine. Like, you know what I mean? Like he was like joking around it was right. a little like flippant but some people are flippant like it's totally cool jakai polite was brazen he was more than brazen he was it was disrespectful he was yeah. he was dismissive i mean we're talking about a guy who openly admitted in a very nonchalant manner that he does not watch his own film right what well, you don't get better at football unless you watch yourself play my guy crazy how how has nobody told you not to say that out loud how right. firstly how are you not watching film Right. You're going to be a professional football player. It's like if I wrote things and didn't read them. <laughs> if I like, wrote things and I just never read them ever again. And I was like, that is the best writing that can happen. Just, you know, I mean, such a disappointment. And so now he's out around one, period. Oh, they, they, they were only showing my bad plays. This is how the process works. I can. And the fact that that happened, here's what that leads me to believe. He can say he doesn't watch his own film, but the University of Florida has absolutely put him into a room where his film has been playing. Like, that's happened. (laughs) And he very likely responded really poorly to criticism. And so I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, scouts talking to people in Florida said, like, hey, whenever we talk with this guy about his film, especially his bad film, like, he's just super abrasive with us. And so team said, listen, I want to make sure that we ask him when we bring him in, 
about his bad film specifically because Florida has said that he doesn't respond well to seeing his bad film. That's exactly what happened. And yeah. just like how how are you not preparing your client for that? Like I don't know whose agent is, but you got to be on top of that. And for polite, you shouldn't even need an agent to tell you not to do any of that nonsense, man. Come on now. <laughs> What are we doing? So some guys that did help themselves. Uh, this safety group was fun, even though the two top safeties that we have, that, that a lot of people have, Deontay Thompson from Alabama and Nasir Adderley from Delaware, didn't do much of anything. Unfortunately, we didn't really get to see them. Hopefully they do everything at the pro day. But one dude that we've talked about a few times on this show, man, did he jump out the freaking gym. Juan! You know? <laughs> oh, man, I'm stunting so hard off Juan's combine, baby. Love it. <laughs> Yo, 53 overall. Punch the ticket. Juan Thornhill, safety out of Virginia. Six interceptions last year. 13 interceptions in the last three years. Jumps 44 inches on the vert. And then 141 inches on the freaking broad. Like, And then Healthy. on top of it all, runs a 4-4-2. Comes in over 200 pounds. Incredible. And my boy Darnell Savage Jr. hitting the 4-3-6. I'm on the hype train, Ben. I'm on it. You got to get on it too. I've been I've been there on Savage. I've been there on Savage, and we heard he might blow up the combine. Now Juan Thornhill has the basketball background. He right. has the. I saw him dunking on some clips after that. After I was like, "Where did this come from?" And I was like, "Okay, dude's yeah. got hops." And the simple reality is, he's clearly a good enough athlete to play the position. He's been rotating positions. You know what I mean? He's been part corner, part safety. His instincts are what slows him down. It's not physical tools. And so he's a guy who like I love the way he plays from the top. I see the room for improvement. I love the physical upside. Juan Thornhill has been safety four on my rankings for a while now. That's where he's going to stay. I don't think he's going to pass any of the top three in Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and this year Adderley and Deontay Thompson. But dude, everything you want from a potential combo safety at the next level, you got to you have to improve him. You got to develop him. But there's not a single safety in this class that doesn't require that. That's just the reality of safety play right now, in my opinion. Dude's a stud. Dude's been a stud. I've loved him forever. I was so happy. And John Ledger, who I was on staff with me at the Draft Network, does not thought he was, had bad tape. I thought he was a bad athlete, and we bickered about this forever. And then Juan jumped out of the building, and I was I was I was awful to him. I was awful to John. I was a bad friend for the entire time afterwards. <laughs> that doesn't sound like you at all, Ben. You never rub anything in anyone's faces. I do not. How dare you say like this? I will rub that lie in your face forever. If you're looking at safeties at 25, you're probably looking at Nasir Adderley. You're looking at. Uh, you're looking at Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who had a very good day too, just not as crazy as uh, the two dudes we talked about at 53, at at 57. We're talking Juan Thornhill, definitely in the mix, Darnell Savage Jr. There's a few others in there as well. There's a lot to talk about as we go through this process. Ben, who has you going back to the tape? Because I've got a list here, uh, Minnesota linebacker Blake Cashman on there. Yeah. Uh, I, I know you already took a look at Notre Dame wide receiver Miles Boykin who has some really good explosive numbers. Uh, I want to rewatch Miles Sanders from Penn State because he tested like a much better athlete than I expected. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I mean, look, I think some of his athleticism, and when I asked you guys on the Draft Network uh, Twitch, when I asked about, you know, is his play speed less than his time speed, what I was really saying or trying to get at was, is it because of the inexperience, the mental processing, because play speed being a mix of mental processing, reactionary skills, and, you know, actual athletic ability – 
does that mix because of the lack of experience and the mental processing knock down his play speed to where he doesn't look like the type of athlete that he tested like. That's why I was really trying to get at with Miles Sanders. So that's something I want to go back to and see if I see more of the burst because I didn't see that much of a burst from him on film. I mean, he was solid. I wasn't knocking him for it. I wasn't knocking him for, you know, lateral agility or anything like that. But it wasn't none of it was special to me. Like he tested like a pretty special athlete all around. Yeah, no. So I guess I was in a, a spot where I knew that he had really good testing numbers because he was breaking records in the Penn State program while Saquon Barkley was just breaking them higher. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yeah. he actually never had them, yeah. but he was breaking them at the same time. And so like I knew he had like an almost 600-pound squat his, senior, his junior year, whatever. He was running in the 4-4s his junior year, so you kind of knew this was going to happen. Yeah, so I got to go watch Montez Sweat. Uh, I'll tell you right now, Montez Sweat is 1,000% going before the Eagles pick, which I think is objectively good news. Yeah, me too. It's but I think he's okay. still going to get overdrafted relative to the, the edge class. I agree with you. I think that the combine is more Jordan Willis than we'd like for it to be. Like, I'll put it to you this way. Montez Sweat ran a great three-cone, short shuttle, 10-yard split at his size. 260 he came in at. Great for him. That probably means we got to go back to his tape and check out his first-step explosiveness, check out his bend around the outside arc. Very quietly, Iowa Edge Anthony Nelson had an absolutely unbelievable combine, right? Like, just ungodly. And I'm pulling it up now on Mock Draftable. We're talking about a 6'7", 271-pound edge with 35-inch arms. So huge. I was looking him up today because I was going through the the Mock Draft machine on Draft Network, and I saw Anthony Nelson there. And I'm like, let me look up his – oh, my God. Yeah. So we're talking about – then. so this guy ran – a 4.82, which is obviously not a 4.42, but it's still great. 35 and a half inch for 118 inch broad, sub seven three cone, 6.95, faster than Montez Sweat. 4.23 short shuttle, I believe also faster than Montez Sweat. Like, uh, insane combine yeah. athleticism. His tape, like Montez Sweat, does not illustrate this level of athleticism. Right. But nobody's talking about Anthony Nelson going up this high. So, like, what we have to acknowledge is that. When players test better than we expect, we can't just say it applies to the first round guys and it probably doesn't mean anything for the second or the third round guys. Right. Right. So like I'm not willing to move Montez Sweat up too far because I'm not willing to move Anthony Nelson up too far because I've watched both of their films and I don't think that they have that athletic ability when they rush. That said, I'll be going back to watch Montez Sweat. Yeah. I'll be going back for sure to watch uh, Ben Banigou, the edge out of TCU, who decided to run like a 1-4-7 10-yard split which is a great, insane time for edges. Uh, and then the last guy, who I'll, I'm not going back to his film, I'm going to it for the first time, is Ole Miss safety Zedrick Woods, freaking Zedrick Woods, who ran a 4-2-9. Crazy. A 4 A 4 What are we doing? What are we talking about? How did a we not see this? How did who we is not see he? this? <laughs> film, I didn't even know who he was. And I've watched, right. I've come across plenty. The only person I know who watched Zedrick Woods is... John Ledger, the SEC guy at the Draft Network, who literally said his worst trait was his closing speed on film. And how was that? And he ran four two nine. Like, what yeah. are we doing here? What are we doing at all? Is this and real life or is this just fantasy? The the, uh, the combine is a lot of fantasy. There, there's you got to figure out what's reality and what's not real. What I know is reality is like, and we have the discussion about you know. When you see it on a testing, how does it move things for you? Look, if you saw that for Montez Sweat on film. Okay, then why is it moving the needle for you now? If you saw it from Garrett Bradbury, that's a, a, an example I use because I've already adjusted his grade for athleticism score. Like I had Garrett Bradbury labeled as a 7 out of 7 athlete. He tests 
like a 7 out of 7 athlete. I apply his RAS score. I give it the proper weight. He moves from a 77 overall grade out of 100 to a 77.3. Still a first-round prospect. Doesn't move much on my board. Really just only takes advantage of the little bit of weighting that I add for verified test results. That's 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 it. I'm not moving him up to top five. I already had him at top 15. I'm not moving all the way up there because he tested like an, athlete, an elite athlete. I saw it on film. Nobody saw it on film with Montez Sweat. That's why it's such a surprise, and that's why everybody's freaking out right now. Well, go back to the film. Calm yourself down. Go back to the film. See if it's translatable. See if he makes it work. See if we miss something. Then we'll then then we'll have a conversation about whether or not he should be a top ten prospect. However, I still have a feeling he's going to get drafted in the top ten by someone who's going to see those numbers. Going to have a D line coach go get me that. <laughs> right, Detroit. Like Detroit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ben, anything else for the combine standout for you? I know we're going to be talking about the combine a lot as we go through this process. We don't have to cover everything in one show. We're obviously going to be hitting up different points as we go through the process. Yeah, I'm going to I have a great point to make and I'm going to remember it and I'm going to say it. <laughs> Fudge. It's not been a good show for me, Mike. I've been, been forgetting bad. a lot of important things. You've been okay. on your phone. It's, about it's, it's, it's very disrespectful. Monta sweat. Going back to watch film, adjusting grade for athleticism. I'm not as important as Ben's timeline, apparently. I surrender. I can't remember what I was going to say. It was a great, very interesting point, and you all would have loved it so much, and you all should be so sad you're not hearing it. When you remember, message me. I'll save yeah, it. Yeah, like 2 a.m. And that's fine. I'll save it, I'll, and, I'll, and, I'll, and we'll make sure that we hit it on the next show for you. This is a great point that you gentle listeners are not going to want to miss on the next Kissed and Solak show. Ben, say goodbye to the gentle listeners. No, I'm too sad. I can't handle it. <laughs> Ugh, I, I can't have this responsibility. Shoot! Look, just I'm say so goodbye. Distressed. If you remember it after the close, then we'll we'll keep it running like we do sometimes. Wasn't about linebacker. Was it about Cody Barton? No, it was about Cody Barton. Was it about drafting Devin Bush at 25? I remember. No, I don't. I was, but it was, it was something about Montez Sweat going at eight. Oh, I remember. Yes. Uh, hey, Mike. Yeah. I have a thing to say. I'm really deciding right now if I want to edit all of that out and make this <laughs> nice and clean or just put it out there to make you look like a dummy. Oh, uh, please but have mercy you know on what... me. There's, you have to pick only one. I've had like multiple screw-ups in this show. <laughs> I can tell you right now with unflappable certainty where Garrett Bradbury is going to be drafted. Ooh. 100%. Where is my bay on the interior of the offensive line going? Because he, I, you know, I'll I tell him. you, I, I, specifically today, not any other day, just today, I can tell you. Do you want to guess or no? I haven't done anything with Mox. I'm so ha- I'm so satisfied. This is like a high. Oh, son of Buzz, remembering something you forgot. This is the best. Miami Dolphins 13. No, 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 no. Not for the life I didn't of know you. I, I don't know. You thought that Brad. I know you like Bradbury this high. I didn't know you thought he was actually going to go this high. Well, I mean, you're talking about it as if he's going to be like a super high pick. I thought this was in the same vein as the Montez Sweat conversation, but I guess not. I guess teams are stupid and like worse players. That's fine. I mean, that's why they're drafting at the front of the draft every year. Ben, who do you think or who, where, where? Tell me where. Tell me where my bay exactly. is going. Exactly. The Los Angeles Rams are letting John Sullivan walk in free agency. No team runs wide zone more. Garrett Bradbury is a plug-and-play center who is an incredibly intelligent player for the Sean McVay offense. Flawless fit, flawless eval, easy money. Garrett Bradbury, 30 overall, Los A- 31 overall, Los Angeles Rams. You said the other day I don't have Bradbury that high because I, I, I have to keep it like scheme versatile because I'm not – I'm not evaluating for one team. I'm evaluating for 32 teams. Yeah. However, if I were the Los Angeles Rams, I would have Garrett Bradbury very high because all we do is freaking run wide zone. <laughs> so that's a great fit. That's a great fit. I would be well, that's a great fit. Ben, now that we have figured that out and clunked our way through this show, 
say goodbye to the gentle listeners. Oh, man. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Kissed and Soul Act Show here on BGN Radio. What a time to be alive, folks. What a feeling. Next time you forget something, remember it, and then feel as good as I do right now. <laughs> uh, and that's my gift to you, is that feeling. But uh, we appreciate you listening. As always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And subscribe and rate and review to all the Philadelphia podcasts on SB Nation's uh, site and SB Nation's podcast team, especially the good fight, P-H-I-G-H-T. Heard they have a pretty hot episode about a recent signing for the Philadelphia Phillies that you might want to listen to. And hey, John Stolness of BGN Radio fame and acclaim is on that show as well. Uh, Ivan Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-E-K's, Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL, that's K-I-S-T. You can find uh, my latest draft bag, as well as my post on Nelson Aguilar's future with the Eagles, up on Bleeding Green Nation. Now, Mike, you have anything fun coming out? I'm just looking at you tweeting out the picture of me and my ridiculous beard that I grow out. Beard kissed! When I don't need my to go favorite, anywhere. My favorite variety of kiss, my favorite breed. It just hasn't, it just, just has decided... He's not going out in public and is just going to grow his beard out because he's lazy kissed. I love it. Now that it's is, all over that the is, internet. That is draft season kissed if ever there was one. <laughs> exactly. Handsome fellow. Uh, no, I mean, I've just got four days worth of winners and losers for the combine out at bleedinggreennation.com. I'm probably going to be working on a mock draft. Once I get through one that I don't absolutely hate and want to throw away, uh, I'll have that piece up for bleedinggreennation.com pretty soon. I think that'll be the next old project that I work on. Be using the uh, draft network uh, mock draft machine for that. And uh, Heck yeah, brother. Ben. That's it for me. Yes, thanks for listening. We love you guys a lot. You guys are the best. Say nice things to us on the internet. Goodbye forever. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. BGN. Mike, you see this Game of Thrones trailer? I have not yet. You have it? Okay, live watch on the podcast. I'm sending it to your DMs. Oh, cool. Or on your Slack. In Slack. On Slack? Yeah, because that's where I already have you open. Yo, why is she all busted up like that? I can't handle the draft and Game of Thrones at the same Preach time. Preach on it. I'm rewatching. I'm in season four already. Okay. What's up, Sam? Man, I was watching some Daenerys. Oh, big dragon. Let's go. Dragons over Winterfell, baby. Dragons yeah. over Winterfell. Danny and John gonna make out in the tombs. Kind of creepy, but it's okay. Oh, is he cured? That guy doesn't have a dick. That guy didn't have a hand. <laughs> Cersei crying into wine. I promise to fight for the living. Fucking oh, that looks dope. What's snow charging there? What was that? Look at this! Look at this! Oh! massive. Podrick, what a hero. Sir Jorah. Oh, yo. Okay. Yeah. I'm Instant in. reaction. Dude. Yeah, that looks incredible. It looks like there's going to be some fantastic set pieces. And it's just going to be like, boss of the walls, let's go type of deal. And I'm all in for right. it. The director said, like, it was a really weird season because they filmed, like, the funniest scene ever and the most emotional scene ever and the most violent scene ever and, like, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it's going to be bananas. I'm here for it. Like I said, I'm, I'm through season – I'm into season four right now on the rewatch. And I think last night I watched, like, the same scene, like, three different times because, like, this is so – so awesome. The I'm most in. important thing to me, the thing that mattered the most, is that we got visual confirmation that Tormund Giants Bane is alive. <laughs> the best character in the entire show, <laughs> bar none. I love it. I love it. I love it. Hey, that's going to do it for the Kiss and Solak show. Bye forever. <laughs>